Another? Okay, this morning I've been doing a bit of reflection and I was thinking about my own salvation and the point leading up to my own salvation. And uh, uh, at that particular time, I was only 21 years old, but I was feeling very lost. And uh, in my youth, I was passionate to find the purpose and meaning of life. And like most young people, going by today's standards, when I look at it, I thought I was a real terrible rebel, but going by today's standards, you know, sort of quite tame. But I was looking for meaning in the wrong areas, you know, fast cars and social life, and and, uh, then that wasn't doing much. I, I even investigated the church my mother went to. She went to a local uh, uh, Church of Christ church, a fine little church, but uh, it didn't sort of really resonate with me or do anything for me. And then I, uh, I remember at school in 1962, just in uh, year eight, um, was introduced to evolution. Now, today evolution just everybody knows about evolution, but we didn't. And uh, in 1962, as young people, it was presented to me. It almost looked like the, the world was opening up before me and, and thought, wow, is this what it's all about? And, and I was fascinated, so I explored the whole thing of evolution. But that, in the end, sort of thought, it really didn't satisfy the longing in my heart because I just knew there had to be an intelligence behind the whole design. I mean, you look at a tree, you look at a bird, you look at a leaf, and for for something to come out of nothing is just dumb. That's sort of where I got to. And then, so I knew there had to be something beyond, there's something eternal and something powerful. And so then I... I, uh, was exposed to the occult area and suddenly there was a bit of excitement that loomed up within me. And I think uh, those of you that have read my book, I uh, share in there about how I got quite involved in the occult, was quite fascinated with it. And finally, uh, I, I called on the name of Jesus. Yes, it was in the wrong way. It was in the middle of a seance that I asked the spirit of the seance to reveal and introduce me to Jesus Christ because he must be the king spirit. And all wrong and everything else, but there was, uh, my mother had placed within me and given me access to, they were called the classics illustrated of all the Bible stories. In a way she was a smart mum because it was, I also know there was a passion within me to explore all that. And I remember reading it, reading it, reading it and loving it as a kid. And so when I got to that place in that, the occultic area, there was still a something driving me towards and that was the wrong thing to do in the wrong place. But God in his mercy heard the cry and the passion of my heart. And that's what it's about, folks. It's about there's people in this world today. 
And you know what happened to me? It wasn't the sounds that saved me. It was Jesus speaking even into that wrong situation and telling me. And the, the, the Spirit uh, spilled out in the glass. Yes, a message for Daryl. Go to church. And I went to church. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. A city of refuge. A place where I could find it. And today I'm talking about our, we need to be recognised as a city of refuge. That's what we are. We're a place of refuge. You know, after I found Jesus, I remember going to the local Rat and Bully church. They had a little, just a little building, just about the size of the, the Mackie one down here, the Uniting Church down here. And I'd go along there and I heard the message and I just heard the gospel. And all these people, and I'm saying afterwards, all these blokes out there talking about their farming and everything, and quite well attended. And I started saying, isn't it wonderful that Jesus died on the cross for us? And you know what I said? Settle down, Daryl. We're all Christians. Settle down. And do you know what I said? Well, why didn't you tell me? I was amazed, furious. God wants our church to be recognisably, clearly visible. Last night, the man wasn't so well, I thought, OK, I'll ring up and I'll get some takeaway from down the Mackie Hotel. So I went down to the Mackie Hotel. It was an experience to... to uh, it was OK. But I was down there and I bumped into somebody and I just said, coming out, was actually uh, Aaron Bink. Bink, is that his name? Fink or whatever? Aaron, anyway... He was pretty under the weather, but and there's some other guys there. And I just said, oh, I didn't feel like cooking tonight. And you know, all these guys all around said, well, I guess you'll be cooking up something tomorrow. And I, I was actually pleased. I thought, I wasn't nasty or anything like that. And I thought, so what I'm talking today about encouraging us to understand that we need to be seen as a place where people can find Jesus. Showing the way to our community to be connected. In our second slide, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul was training up Timothy to take over the church. And he said, I'm telling you all these things so that if I'm delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And I'm wanting us to hear today, no, no, it's not a, a telling off, it's more of an encouragement to really understand the value of our image in the community. Um, I have shared this before, but then there's new people now that may have not have heard this. Uh, quite a number of years ago, tw over 
20 years ago now, of course, because we've been in Mackey going on 14 years. But 20 years ago, we were in Wyala, and uh, because uh, we needed some extra income or whatever, Anne decided to go back to university to get a scholarship and sort of help us put food on the table. And uh, so she, she did a course... I can't even remember what it was about, something to do with communications. It was anyway, a bookkeeping accounting course that she was doing, which was very good. But one of the subjects that she had to do was a community project. And so she had the, the choice to, to choose her topic. And so she had to... Uh, the topic she chose was, are the churches in Wyala relevant today to the people in Wyala. And so she had to do oh, hundreds of surveys that she gave out and get the feedback and all this sort of stuff. And it was actually quite amazing to us that almost every uh, person that replied to her questions, one of the questions was, do you believe in that there's a life after death? Almost 100% said yes. Do you think it's good for children to have some Sunday school education about that? Yes. Do you think the church can offer you anything? No. Now, at first we go, hmm, sinners, they wouldn't know. And and, yet, and then I thought to myself, now, if this was Cadbury's circulating with a new chocolate bar and they put it out there, let's say, do you like the taste? Yes. Would you buy it? No. They wouldn't sit there and sulk and say stupid people don't know anything. They would say, we need to change the wrapper. Somehow we need to change the image. Somehow we need to make an adjustment. The people like our product, but they won't buy it. And so there is a responsibility. Cadbury's would accept, not just blame, the community. And so I'm saying, and I've made it my passion in life, to say it's not enough just for me to know Living Word is a fantastic place I mean, we know it is. We know the message we have. We know it's a positive message. We know it will help people. It'll set people free. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happens if they come and hear the gospel at Living Word. Amen? Amen. Amen. And today, I want to show a short video now, which some of you might have seen it before, but it really encourages us as to the value of what we are in our community. Can we see if we can get it up, Faye? People often... A bit of fun, but how much truth's in that too? And how much sometimes do we forget that's who we are and who we're serving? The Holy Spirit is calling people in our communities in this Macclesfield area, Strathalbyn area, Murray Bridge, Mount Barker, everywhere, Adelaide. 
We need to be aware how to respect, restore and help people return to the Saviour with dignity and humility. I'm so glad that Mum sowed within me those childhood seeds right back. God's always made provision to rescue his people. There's a deep longing for and meaning for purpose and belonging even in young people today. You might say, what? And you have a look at young people. Well, I think it's evidenced by the rise and the radicalising of, of our intelligent young people, especially in the Western world. The reason the radicalising is taking place is because there's an emptiness within. This seems amazing to our Western minds, but the bent one, that's what I like to call him, the bent one has capitalised on this loss of image and identity. And we say it a lot, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside every person. And we try to fill that God-shaped vacuum because vacuums uh, leave us with an emptiness and a hollowness. And we try to fill it with what we know. I didn't deliberately just run out and join the occult because I wanted to worship the devil. There was such an emptiness within me that wasn't being filled and I couldn't even see where to fill it. And so we need to be helping people Steering them towards, not filling it with the wrong things. We can fill it with evil things, obviously, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll. But we can also fill it with family, hobbies, good deeds, purposes, social clubs. And we try to fill that, but nothing satisfies our eternal soul other than the Holy Spirit. But there's one thing we need to remember. The thief, the devil, he came into this world to steal, kill and destroy. In John 10.10 it says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus came to give freedom and life. God's challenging the church today to be more proactive towards this end. And it's not enough for us to just have the answers. It is a a responsibility of ours to be doing something about our image. Even if, I'm not saying it is, but even if it was totally not our fault. That's nothing to do with it. Our image. Now there's one thing that Satan can't do. And that is show mercy. In the next slide, it says in Matthew chapter 9 13, Jesus is telling the Pharisees after they've been doing what Brenton was talking about, coming up with all their rules and regulations. And he says, and Jesus adds, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. 
You see, we often can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, etc. So whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes forget the next verse. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. It changes the whole perspective. The law is good, Paul says to, to, uh, to uh, Timothy. Well, it's used as it should be, to reveal our sin. But that's all it can do. I remember one particular day, I've shared this before too, but in the rehab at Caravan, a young, one young man... <clears throat> He, uh, he really arced up about coming into the, to the uh, devotional studies. And it was part of the requirement of the course to, to do the whole thing. And he said, well, you might be able to make me go in there and listen, but if I was going to worship anybody, I'd worship Satan. And, uh, you know, the, the, the shock value is there to sort of try to... Uh, make us arc up and react and I knew better than that I've been down this road a few times before with people and I said and why would that be Brian why would that be he said well God's never done anything for me so why should I do anything for him and I said well if you felt so strongly about that why didn't you go to a Satanist halfway house he said Satan doesn't have any halfway houses I said do you want to think about that Do you want to just think about that? That's a very good point. And I was thankful to God that he dropped that word right into me right then. Because that's all it was. Even in the Old Testament, God's mercy has been really shown because he set up cities of refuge where people, when they were in trouble, could run to and have, and they were, as it says on there, that there was no further than 32 miles, it's about 50 kilometres. Right through Israel, nobody had to travel more than 50, so most people were really close by to a city of refuge. Whereas if they had accidentally killed somebody, or, if, or, or something had happened where their life was in danger, they could run into that place and, and hold the horns of the temple there until they, they had justice, until they were heard. doesn't mean they just got off scot-free. But let's... Um, uh, uh, Joshua, and the Lord said to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 20, verse 1, he says, Tell the Israelites to designate cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they're to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbour unintentionally and without malice or premeditation. They are to stay in that city 
until I've stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who was serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. It's not just saying that if you murdered somebody you got off scot-free. It was just saying you had a space, you had refuge until your case could be heard and you stayed there. See, the Old Testament seems harsh to us but sometimes we forget to understand the seriousness of crimes. It defies all our logic to see intelligent young people being attracted to ungodliness today. Satan's designed intention is to fill that spiritual vacuum in our young people or in all people and to turn them into young zealots. Islam, communism, climate change, homosexuality, rebellion, false religions, evolution, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You can fill it with whatever you want. But God designed cities of refuge to point everyone to his ultimate plan. In Ephesians 3.10 it says, God's intent was that now, when? Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That doesn't just mean the man on the street. It's talking about the powers of darkness, which filters down through, because it's not flesh and blood we're really wrestling against. It's principalities and powers. So the whole summary of our problem, the human race, we are sinners by birth. You might like to say, well, it wasn't my fault that Eve ate the apple off the tree, and da, da, da. but <laughs> whether you ate from the apple of the tree or not, as soon as we eat the rage of decision, we choose to sin. We're guilty both by birth and by practice. And I love the way Ray Comfort goes through and he talks to people on the street and they say, yeah, they're good people. He said, well, let's judge you by the Ten Commandments then. You ever sworn? You ever blasphemed? You ever done this? And you ever done that? They go right through and he said, now, where do you stand? Oh, guilty. <laughs> and Ray brings out a very good point. He says, you know what sin is? Sin is wages. If a judge was standing before somebody that had done some gruesome crime and brutally slain and raped three beautiful young women or whatever else, he'd say, you've earned a certain sentence. In God's case, it would be the death sentence. You've earned that. That's your wages. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've so violated the holy God there is nothing to look forward to except hell, death and misery. Every person on the face of the earth. And the evil one, the bent one, he's looking for vengeance. He wants to drag as many down with him as possible. And so we need a place. Our community needs a place where they can run to and find safety and be heard.
This place is really a person whom living word represents. This place is Jesus. A place where the avenger cannot touch us. A place where the priest has died, leaving us with no legal penalty. In slide 5, Hebrews 9.15 says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he's died as a ransom to set them free. I don't think it's a very long bow at all to say that they had to wait in that city until the high priest died. And our high priest was not only the lamb with sacrifice, but he is our high priest. And he has died, he has paid the fine, and we are free. This is the city of refuge. This is the local church. This is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We don't always get everything right. We don't always do it all right. But this is the place which we can be proud to say we serve, we serve Jesus. We love the Lord our God. And everybody can come. The crime has to be paid for in the community. We can't avoid doing that. Some people make the mistake of trying to make the gospel so easy that we don't help them understand the depth of the violation which has taken place. Sometimes that's a hard balancing act to get across. The church is more often known for what we're telling them off about than what we are helping people come into. In your case, Jesus paid the debt both as your friend, as your sacrificial lamb, and as your high priest. You're free to live. You're free to live free. We need to be proud, absolutely proud, committed to, passionate about, putting first this house of refuge where people can find Jesus. I get disappointed and discouraged that there's only a dozen or so of us here today. And, and I'm certainly not wanting to transfer that on to anybody that's here. I'm not even really wanting to transfer negativity on. But my desire, my passion is we would discover the truth of what a house of refuge is all about. Every time we're not here, the body is weakened. Every time that we are here, it's, it's God will use us in some way. We do have an image problem. We do have a, a problem in our community. And so I accept part of the responsibility to be doing everything I possibly can that I know of to, to accept that I have contributed to that wrong image. And I humbly ask God to help me. See, it's, it's one thing, it's okay to bag places like, like uh, uh, Hillsong and, and places like that that are in a bit of trouble at the moment because 
They've had such a huge following and we can look at it and we can see some some perhaps lack of disciplines that have taken place within churches like that. But one thing they really did well was they showed church is an attractive place to be for young people. That part of what they were doing was not wrong. Just because there's some uh, mistakes that are made in there and they need to breach some holes and whatever else, may God help them to do that. May God enlarge them and give them the capacity to fix any, any uh, bits that w- went wrong and, and to sort it out. There's not one church in the world that doesn't need to have that sort of help. But I do pray <clears throat> that I may have some of the understanding of what they have is to be able to, to make church desirable. We don't have to do that by taking away the holiness of God. But there are things that we can learn about how to make the, the, the house of refuge a place reaching out to a community. I don't really know how to do it as well as I could. I know that I'm up against it all the time, up against that resistance. To some degree, we've, it's, it's our own wages. The church has done disgusting things, terrible things, and, and it's no good just pointing at a Catholic priest and saying, that's not me. I think to some degree, we need to be saying, I have a responsibility too, to be learning transforming myself, staying in training, doing everything I can to make the, the re- city of refuge an attractive place and the signposts out easily, clearly and with. That's why we have things like bonfires, while we do things, while we, while we ha- try and make church as exciting. Even the songs that we sing, we try to make them appealing yet relevant we don't want to diminish a single thing, do we, about the standard of God. And yet there are things that we can do. May God help us and bless us and uh, may we be just so excited. I love that clip, you know, about we're part of a global enterprise. We have hospices. Who else in the world addresses the needs of people like the church does? There's nobody that goes close to it. We have feeding programs, we have health programs, we have education programs. Even the things that we take for granted today, like school and things, all of those things came out of the church, came out of the Christian message. It was interesting when we were in Cambodia and they were going through and... and, uh, at the end of the Pol Pot regime, they went through and all the, the wells throughout the villages and poisoned them all the wells with arsenic. And uh, just that just shows the, the the sort of the thief wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. I can't be here, so you won't either. But the the, the organisation, every organisation we came across that was doing something in Cambodia, and we came across this group that were going through it and. Uh, fixing up all the wells and we discover they're a Christian organisation. We go through another organisation and uh, 